Hey listeners, are you enjoying our podcasts and coaching advice? Do you feel like some guidance and accountability could help you stay motivated and focused during these uncertain pandemic times? We love connecting with our listeners and collaborating to make training work for your goals, your life, your personality. As a thank you for listening to our podcast, we want to offer any new clients $20 off the first month of coaching, which is normally $150. Email us at julieandlisa at runfartherandfaster.com to set up a time to connect over the phone to learn more. And be sure to mention this special offer as one of our loyal listeners. All right, it's seven o'clock, so we're going to get started. We know everybody want to respect everyone's time, and we have a lot of really great material tonight. So welcome to part two of Running Through Menopause. For those of you who um, missed the first uh, first part of our webinar, you actually can catch up on it. We've um, put the audio for these webinars on our podcast, the Run Farther and Faster podcast. So if you missed the first one, you can uh, go back. We'll circulate the links after, but if you look for the Run Farther and Faster podcast, it is in in one of our past episodes. And if you have to get off early tonight or wanna go back and listen to some of what the speakers addressed, we will put out a, a special edition, special episode of our podcast shortly that will have the recording from tonight. So thank you for joining us. I'm Lisa Levin and along with Julie Sapper, who's here as well, we are the um, co-founders of Run Farther and Faster. And along with Rachel Miller, who is the owner of ProAction Physical Therapy, we uh, really recognized a, a lack of information, of, of comprehensive and cohesive information in one place for women, masters women runners, as we get closer, closer to, go through and beyond menopause. So we decided to put together this two-part webinar series. First part, we had Dr. Toby Beckerman join us, who will be joining us at the end of the evening tonight as well to answer any questions that you may have remaining from the last time or if you didn't get to join us last time. So if you have any questions throughout the evening, please put those um, in the chat um, and we will get to them as we have time at the end. Um, so Julie and I, again, like I said, uh, founded co co-founded Run Farther and Faster 10 years ago. We coach runners of all levels and all, um, all speeds, all paces. And um, we really pride ourselves on individualized coaching. We also host a weekly podcast, as I mentioned, by the same name, Run Farther and Faster. And um, we are masters runners ourselves. So this is information that is really pertinent to us. Yes. Yeah, so hi, I'm Julie Sapper. And as Lisa mentioned, we've been coaching runners for all ages for a decade. And through our experience, we've really grown to understand the unique needs of masters women runners and managing menopause. And so we decided that we wanted to collaborate with our top physical therapist in our area, Rachel Miller, co-founder of ProAction Physical Therapy, to present the information we believe all women athletes need to know to run strong and injury-free. So for this webinar, we are delighted to introduce two experts. The first is Amy Goldsmith. Amy is a registered dietitian and founder of Kindred Nutrition. And that is a practice based in Frederick, Maryland, but she um, does virtual consultations as well. We are also thrilled to welcome Kelly Redman, who is an NASM trainer, cross country and track coach and founder of Team Fit. Both Amy and Kelly are here to help 
all of us optimize our running and our lives. Uh, first of all, to talk a little bit about Amy. As I mentioned, she's a registered dietitian and sports nutritionist. Amy has also the, been the founder of Kindred Nutrition and has been practicing for over 20 years. She really believes that there's a strong connection between the gut and the brain and focuses on both with all clients. She is particularly knowledgeable in managing menopause through optimizing our nutrition. Following Amy, we are thrilled to welcome Kelly Redmond, who is an NASM certified personal trainer and the owner of Team Fit. Those who run with Run Farther and Faster will recognize Kelly as she has been providing strength training and mobility workouts for our runners virtually since the pandemic began. She specializes in developing strength training programs for masters women and through her company, Team Fit, has helped hundreds of women build strength and perform at a high level as a result. Kelly's also a master's runner herself and a coach. She coaches the Wooten High School track and cross country teams, one of the top programs in Maryland. All right, so without further ado, we're gonna kick it over to Amy Goldsmith to start us off. Thank you everyone for joining us. We're so thrilled you're here. And before we forget, stay tuned because at the end of the webinar, we will be welcoming back Dr. Toby Beckerman who will be answering any questions that you may have. So thanks and, Amy, you can take it away. And can I just say one more thing? Um, if you, anyone does have questions, definitely put into the chat. If there's time, we will try to get to them. After um, we're done, we'll send out um, the, um, podcast probably tomorrow. We'll also have all our information. So if you need to follow up with us with any questions, comments, so forth, you'll have an opportunity afterwards. Thank you. Go ahead, Amy. Excellent. Can everybody hear me? I see some nods here. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here tonight. I'm going to start and let you all know I could talk about this forever. So it's going to be really important for me to pay attention to the clock and um, not talk too much. Um, in addition to owning Kindred Nutrition um, and being a dietitian for over 20 years. I'm also the consumer protection coordinator for um, the state of Maryland um, for the Maryland American uh, Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. And the only reason why I'm bringing that up is because it's very important for me to champion protecting consumers. So I'm also gonna talk a little bit about that as we kind of move forward um, through this. And one of the things that I wanna start with is for everybody to kind of keep in mind that, you know, menopause is, it's a hot topic, but one that really, um, I feel like hasn't been championed for years. I feel like we are finally, finally the generation that's really going to accept menopause and really kind of teach others and learn how to live through this. Um, but it's very interesting because when we do basic web um, searches and things like that, it is amazing what comes up. I've done this the last like week on different computers and different sites. Please keep in mind that the nutraceutical business is a billion dollar business, right? And they make money off of marketing to folks like us. And when we are dealing with perimenopause or menopause, we just want to feel better, right? But some of these things that are being marketed in the nutraceutical business, they're not evidence-based there's not a lot of research and they're not regulated. So I'm super excited today because I think Kelly and myself and Rachel and Julie and Lisa are really gonna talk about evidence-based um, uh, techniques to kind of help us through this wonderful, wonderful phase of our lives. Um, so to start off, um, I am a registered dietitian. There is a difference between registered dietitians and nutritionists. All registered dietitians are nutritionists. 
um, and nutritionists are not as regulated and don't always have um, the same exact experience and evidence-based experience. When you are being treated for anything, um, any condition, and going to any type of healthcare provider, it's really important to understand what their license um, means and how they're regulated and what their experience is. One of the things I'm gonna start with is this simple sentence that's not going to be very popular, but I'm just gonna get it out of the way. There's a lot of research um, that has been done with menopause. And um, the first set of research that I'm gonna talk about from blank and colleges tells us that women only gain one pound due to the physical change of menopause. What a drag is that? I mean, that just really ticks me off when I read that. I'm in my mid 40s, so um, I'm kind of in this in this wonderful um, part of my life. Um, now, that doesn't mean that changes to our body don't exist, right? And it doesn't. And I'm not saying that to invalidate any of our hot flashes or our moods, right? <laughs> um, but it's important to know there's other things that we need to understand when we're talking about menopause. Um, the first thing is, is that our bodies naturally change with hormonal changes. Think about for anybody who has been pregnant, think about the changes that occur then. Whew, I mean, what a drag, right? But we all really accept those changes because people talk about pregnancy. You know, it's not kind of um, something that people like are, are quiet about, right? So the first thing that we need to do is we have to go through the phase of acceptance. Right? I accept that I am potentially in perimenopause or menopause. <laughs> and we have to accept that our bodies can change with the changes of hormone, hormones. I'm gonna break this down into a couple of things. And the first thing we're gonna talk about is nutrition, my most favorite subject in the world. Okay, so when we start to go through this change, we have a decrease in estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. Testosterone, oh my goodness, see, it's Sunday night brain. Um, now these changes can change the way your body metabolizes glucose, the way your body metabolizes fat, and it can also make you insulin sensitive. Please keep in mind that I say it can because everybody is different and this, there's a very individualized approach to this, right? So animal studies have shown that they really believe that animals gain weight because of the decrease in estrogen, right? And that the weight is gained directly due to that decrease in estrogen and also because their energy needs decrease. That's inconclusive for humans. The thought process is that weight gain occurs because of decrease in activity and changes to body composition, as well as um, decrease of like, um, as well as, I'm sorry, the symptoms that you're having that are kind of causing that decrease in activity. I'm gonna give you a little bit of an example. I was thinking about this two weeks ago, or was it last week? I was in Texas, whenever that snowstorm was, I was, I was um, stuck there. Um, I'm in my mid forties. My kids are a little bit older and I wear a watch all the time that tells me how often I move. The pandemic hit, and all of a sudden I was stuck in a computer. I wasn't going to my waiting room to get my patients anymore. I wasn't walking around the office to show them things. I weren't getting supplements. Um, and also I'm not coming home and waiting on my kids hand and foot because they're a little bit older and they can do things on their own. I went to Texas to visit family and all of a sudden I was with a newborn and a three-year-old. My steps tripled, right? 
So think about that. When we are naturally older and to that place where we are um, hitting perimenopause or menopause, sometimes we're naturally not waiting on people hand and foot. We add like this pandemic where we're not going to sports and we're not you know, bringing people here and there. Our, our regular activity is, is decreasing, right? In addition to that, um, because of side effects that occur, uh, with menopause, which would be hot flashes, extreme fatigue, results of insomnia, we just might not feel like working out as much as we did in the past, correct? Sometimes when we're working out, it might not even be the best workout. Have you ever been, um, you know, in the middle of a run and thinking, oh my God, this is horrible. Why am I even doing this? It feel, I mean, hello, that's happened to me, right? <laughs> um, you know, we, we feel that way because we're having all of these symptoms, right? In addition to that, after the age of 40, and this is a real drag, um, women tend to lose 1% of their lean muscle mass every single year, right? And when we think about that, our lean muscle mass is what's tied to our metabolism. So if we're losing that lean muscle mass and we're not doing anything to build or strengthen or, or keep that lean muscle mass, our needs are decreased. So from a nutrition perspective, we need to kind of go through that phase of acceptance. Okay, I feel like I'm having symptoms. I feel like I'm in perimenopause or menopause. I need to really kind of double down and put my exercise and my nutrition at a different priority. And I'll admit, it's a drag to do that sometimes when you're not feeling that well, right? When we talk about nutrition, because there is a risk of your body um, changing abilities to metabolize your fat and your carbohydrates, it's really important that you focus on what types of food you're eating and also that you know what your energy needs are, okay? It is normal that as we move past the age of 40 that our energy needs are going to decrease. Please keep in mind that does not mean that you automatically have to go to 1200 calories or less, right? There are ways that you can find out what your needs are. Um, obviously, I'm a registered dietitian, so I'm biased, but they are the best people to help you. And lots of times they are covered by insurance. It is extremely important to know what your energy needs are. One of the things that I find my patients um, are doing is they're automatically decreasing their calories too low and they're completely omitting carbohydrates. Please don't do that. <laughs> carbohydrates are great for us. It's their number one fuel source. You just need to pay a little bit more, atten more attention and be more cognizant of the types of carbohydrates that you're eating. So we want high fiber, high fiber carbohydrates, right? Whole grains, lots of fruits and vegetables. And we really want to look at the portion because the portions of carbohydrates is really what ruins it for that food group. Small, small portions are a lot of calories. So even taking little steps to look at the portions that you're eating and increasing your fruits and vegetables to five servings a day is, is really a great, great challenge. We still need, all of us women, we still need about 40 to 50% of our total intake to be carbohydrates, okay? We just have to be cognizant of what type of carbohydrates. Protein is really, really important as well. I always say protein is, is, is kind of, it's great to help decrease hunger, right? It kind of satisfies those hunger cues. And we wanna make sure that we're having protein at every single meal, right? It's very important um, in all of, the um, all of the functions of your physiological processes. But we do not wanna eat too much protein. 
when we eat too much protein, a lot of our protein, especially our, especially our animal protein is higher in fat, right? We really don't have a way to store excess protein. So if we're eating more protein, it's gonna be stored as fat. So I recommend about 20 to 30 grams, please keep in mind this is very individualized at every meal, which is about three or four ounces of protein. And it depends, you wanna spread this out throughout the day. Protein is still very, very important, but we don't wanna to eat too much of it, right? And the reason for that is because if we eat too much of it, it's gonna be stored as fat. And we've already learned that with the changes of estrogen, our fat metabolism can change. We all need fat and this is a big bummer. I find with my experience and with most of the women that I work with, including myself, that really fat is the culprit. We really, really need to start paying attention to it and we need to keep it below our needs, right? We really don't need our fat to be, um, really I feel like during menopause to be too much over that 25 to 30% of our total diet. And we wanna make sure that we're eating more of those good fats. And I always chuckle when I hear that, right? But your, your good fats are gonna be more of your poly or unsaturated fats. My simple way to think of this is saturated is more solid at room temperature. And now I love when we're in a room like this because we're all around my same age. So I can say Crisco and you all know what I'm talking about. My young teens have no idea what I'm talking about, but I envision Crisco more saturated, more solid at room temperature that's more saturated, right? Um, but we want to focus on more of our poly or monounsaturated olive oil, avocado oil, vegetable oil. And then we have like avocados, um, nuts, seeds, olives, and things like that. Still very important, but we need to pay attention to that overall fat because fat's really high in calories. And if our needs have decreased and we're going over our fat, that's an easy way to go over what our calorie needs are. Um, some of the other thoughts are is because of the side effects um, with perimenopause and menopause and insomnia being such a big one is kind of changing. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit more. Um, it's really changing your meals to having your biggest meal to be breakfast and then your second biggest to be lunch and then your smallest to be dinner. Because if you have that big meal at dinner, sometimes that digestion absorption can make you uncomfortable and even cause more of the, those sleep problems. So that is my basics for nutrition, right? My big things I would say to take away from that, don't avoid the carbohydrates completely. Um, understand what your needs are. Don't drop the calories too low because if you drop the calories too low, too quick, your body's gonna think it's starving and it will start to store excess food, right? Protein is very important and we need to look at portion sizes. So that is nutrition. The next thing I wanna talk about is supplements, okay? Um, I'm usually not a big fan of supplements unless I see blood work because I am a real big um, lab nerd. I love to look at labs and then kind of figure out um, how one lab is related to another and how we can kind of supplement. However, it is important to look at supplementation during, during menopause or menopause. Your doctor can also give you direction with this. And the reason is, is because as our estrogen decreases, we have about a 2% bone loss um, every year. What a drag, right? And so we really, really wanna focus on that calcium and um, that vitamin D. Um, I, I obviously am always gonna say as a dietitian, I like people to get their um, the calcium and vitamin D from whole foods. However, um, if we can't, 
Um, we need about 1,000 to 1,200 milligrams of calcium in a day. And then vitamin D really varies between, I would say about 2,000 to 5,000. And it really depends on what that vitamin D number is. Some key things to think about is if you are doing a calcium supplementation, you really don't wanna take more than 600 milligrams of that calcium at one time. So I usually tell people to split their calcium into like maybe 500 to 600 in the morning, 500 to 600 in the evening. Um, and not to take it with an iron supplement because it will bind and you will not be able to absorb it. So I do have a lot of clients sometimes who will come to me who have a multivitamin with iron and they're taking it with calcium. You do not wanna take these at the same time. Vitamin D, um, usually the research shows that to keep your vitamin D above 30, you need to have at least 1000 to 2000 IUs of vitamin D. I usually tell people it's safe to take about 2,000 um, IUs of vitamin D starting in October till about March when we start to not see that sun um, and, and then to kind of um, see from there. But I would say, you know, advocate for yourselves when you're going to your doctor's visits, advocate, 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 ask for lab work, right? Um, it's nothing against your primary care physician um, they're very busy and kind of going through the motions, but your insurance will cover and should cover labs, which would include your vitamin D and um, calcium, especially at our ages. So ask for it, right? If your insurance doesn't cover it, it it's um, mostly affordable, um, but you can always ask your physician why I want it be covered. And if um, there's a diagnosis code that they could uh, tie to it. So I, I do say, please advocate for yourselves. It's really important at all of our ages for us all to be getting lab labs to include not only the calcium and the vitamin D in our blood counts, but also like lipid profiles and all those things. Even though we're all um, very energetic and active, we need to kind of get that lay of the land to see how our bodies are functioning. After supplements, I want to mention sleep. How many, how many people here are really um, frustrated with their sleep? I mean, I gotta tell you, I'm really losing my mind over it. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I thought this was so interesting and it actually um, gave me some validation. So I was a little bit relieved to see this. Um, the National Sleep Foundation said that 61% of women who are in perimenopause and menopause have insomnia. It's like, oh, thank God there's not, a, I don't have like a major character defect, right? <laughs> Um, but I want to validate with everybody. I mean, sleep messes everything up. I don't know how you guys feel. Um, one of the things with sleep that's really important is that if you don't have enough sleep, it really disrupts your um, appetite regulation. And there's a thought process that says, you know, we all these women are dealing with lack of sleep and fatigue and their hunger and satiety cues are off, right? And, you know, that can lead to overeating sometimes or, you know, skipping a meal because you are so tired, you had to get out, um, you had to get out really quick to get to the office, so you skip breakfast, and then all of a sudden lunges here and you can eat a horse, you know what I mean? So um, really, really important to look at sleep. Um, I usually tell all of my patients, and this is gonna sound really silly, but to try to start a sleep routine. I make fun of myself. My teenage kids think I am um, absolutely nuts, but I had to think to myself, what should I do for my babies? like my kids where they were babies. I mean, do you all like for anybody who has kids and I know that all of us might not, 
Um, I, I was a nutcase when I <laughs> was putting the sleep routine for my kids. They had their bath. I put their lotion on, you know, I brought them same time every night. And I was like, Hey, you know, it must be important because it did set up great, um, great habits. But now I actually have found that I have to do that for myself. And I recommend it for a lot of my clients. So really, really trying to establish a sleep routine, whatever that is, we're talking about trying to sleep at the same time every night. Um, you know, not having, um, even though sometimes that's your only time to yourselves and I get it. I, I totally get that. Right. But, um, you know, those lights from the social media and the phones, it, there's lots of research that says that it really messes with our sleep. So whatever that is, trying to, whether it's taking a bath or a shower or your music, trying to get to sleep at the same time every night, super, super important. That light dinner meal, there's lots of research that shows like if you have your, um, if you have a really big meal after dinner and you're uncomfortable, you're having those um, symptoms of heartburn or you're having bloating that really causes more sleep disturbance so trying to have that dinner meal to be lighter and trying to eat that at least two to three hours before you go to sleep and then the last real bummer is not is trying not to have caffeine before you sleep now i will tell you the the research years ago because i'm old when i first got into this field research was like you know you can you don't need just two hours before you're fine the latest research says about six hours before you go to sleep. So think about what time you go to sleep. And I literally, I will say, I'm not embarrassed to say it. I have an alarm that goes off on my phone and says no more caffeine because my sleep is so special to me. I do not want to, um, I don't want to disturb it. So really important to look at that caffeine too. Last but not least, and then I'm going to turn it over is exercise. I'm just going to mention since we talked about how your lean muscle mass you lose at the age of 40, and I just hate saying this because it's such a bummer that you lose 1% of lean muscle mass every single year, right? Along with decreasing that bone density, exercise has to change, right? It just has to. And, you know, let's have fun with it, right? I've changed it. Um, we really need to focus on a combination of that aerobic exercise, but also that strength training, right? Has anybody heard of that before? Yeah, okay. Kelly's gonna talk about that a little bit more, but something to keep in mind is there is a research study done with 34,000 women. So those are the research studies I like. I'm like, all right, give me numbers so I can, I can believe what you're saying. Um, Lee and colleagues showed that, 50, that at 34,000 people at the average age of 54, if they were active, 60 minutes a day. Now, keep in mind what I'm saying. When I'm saying active, that includes planned exercise plus your activities of daily living, that these women only gained 0.5 pounds over 10 years, right? But the kicker is it was a combination of strength training and aerobic. We all love running. You know, I like running because I can do it in my, it's kind of like, it's my old standby, right? I can go out my door. I can get on the treadmill. I can listen. I can zone out. There's nothing that does some um, better things for my brain than running. But I know that I, um, and I've had, that I've had to start strength training. So all very important things. Um, everybody's individualized, but those are the evidence-based things to really kind of put as a priority.
I have a little bit of time if there's questions. There, there are some questions, a couple okay. of questions. Thank you so much, Amy, for um, valuable, valuable information. I love just learning from everybody else. <laughs> um, one question was, what is your opinion on collagen powder, such as vital proteins to add to smoothies? So I, I'm not against any um, types of powders. I will say my preference is only, always to get protein from food. Um, but if you are um, not hitting your protein needs, it's a great way to, um, to get protein. And I'm fine with the collagen and the vital proteins. It's a great product. The only thing to keep in mind is if you already have a decent amount of protein at that meal and you're adding a protein powder on top of that, we really don't need more than about 25 to 30 grams at a meal. Um, so we just want to make sure we're not having too much at that time. Great. And two more questions. One is a favorite vitamin D supplement, maybe a brand or anything like that. I am going to tell you something that I think, I hope makes everybody smirk. I look for one thing, two things. I look forward to say that it's U, um, USP certified because if it's USP certified, we know that it's regulated. So we know when it comes off the dock, they're checking it and they're making sure that it has in it what it says. And the second thing I look at is the price tag. If it's USP certified and it's and it's cheaper, you do not have to spend $50 on supplements. I love nature's um, nature's made products. They're USP certified. They're very reasonable and everybody has them. Great. Thank you. And one more question is, um, after a long run, what would you say the protein to carb ratio should be? And is it bad to have bread or pasta after a long run? That's a great question. The ratio really needs to be two to three to one. So your carbohydrates are two to three, believe it or not, to one protein. Um, and that surprises people a lot, but after a long run, think about you're using your, um, after about an hour and 15 minutes, you're, you're using a lot of carbohydrates and really need to refuel with at least about 30 grams an hour. So we really need to refuel that glycogen and then we have to have that protein with it. I don't think any food is bad, which I know is probably a really boring thing for a dietitian to say. Um, just look at the ingredients. If you're having bread, you know, you don't want that first ingredient to be sugar. Most breads aren't, right? <laughs> and not that I'm saying that sugar is bad because I'm not, but we really wanna look for that whole product to be the first ingredient. I don't think any of those are bad. As long as you have that combination of carbohydrates and, pro and protein, that's what you're really looking for. Amy, okay. we we had another question. Um, a couple of our runners had asked us to ask you about macros. Um, it's a very popular term that's being used a lot, uh, particularly with this demographic. Can you talk a little bit about that and how much emphasis one should be placing on macros? So macros, I'm going to tell you guys a secret. So macros kind of cracks dietitians up. And the reason why is because we all, everybody who is my age or older, we when we first went to school, we did our internship, we're in the hospital, right? And um, we get a lot of our clinical training there, which is very, very important for every dietitian to have. To have. <clears throat> when we do um, nutrition support, which is tube feedings or TPNs, we would figure out every single person's need and then we would change it into a percentage to give to the pharmacist so they knew what the macronutrient percentage was for that formula. So when we hear macronutrients, we're thinking, what in the world? Like these people can eat, eat through their mouths. Why do they need neck, right? Um, but it became, <laughs> it became very popular. Some of the um, famous uh, fitness um, you know, changes in the years kind of took, took the name macros and really kind of created a buzz with it. And it got a fabulous response because if you think of it, it makes things very black and white. 
this percentage of carbohydrates, this percentage of protein, this percentage of fat. My experience with macronutrients is it's, it's a great goal, but people tend to focus on the number instead of the food. So it becomes this puzzle where people are trying to like hit their carbohydrates and their protein and their fat, where they're not really thinking about whole foods and things like that. It's really not that important to me. It, it's okay for you to get a macronutrient prescription as long as it's from a registered and licensed dietitian, but it's more important to understand how you put those foods together in timing of meals. Amy, one last question before we turn it over to Kelly. Can you talk briefly about hydration and how any hydration needs may change as we go through menopause, especially with hot flashes and especially with, with um, you know, our, the different changes that we're going through? Yes, I'm sorry that I left that out. Hydration is definitely important. It's the next thing when you think about hot flashes, right? You're releasing, you're sweating and you're releasing some of your electrolytes, right? So it's really, really important if you're somebody who has, um, you know, those sheet soaking, and I can be honest here, right? Those, those sheet soaking hot flashes, they're horrible, right? We can assume that we're losing electrolytes. So we need to make up that hydration also with bloating and some of those really uncomfortable side effects that we're having, you know, making sure that you're hydrating yourself well enough that we can keep that gastric motility working. Um, because one of the uncomfortable side effects is obviously constipation, not fun to talk about or diarrhea, right? We really need to focus on having um, enough fluid. So if you are baseline with 64 ounces before, I'm just giving this as an example, and you're somebody that's noticing, Hey, I'm sweating a lot. I'm very bloated when I'm putting my rings on in the morning, or I'm trying to take them off. It's a difficult, or when I look at my socks, I have those little indents, you know, I can see where the socks were in my skin. That is um, knowledge for you all to say, Hey, I need to increase my, um, my water a little bit more. So completely normal to have to increase it to that 80 to 90 ounces. I can see Julie and you know what? I have my little, my cup here too. So, um, very, very important. Thank you for reminding me about that, Lisa. Thank you so much, Amy, again, and, um, we will move on to Kelly Redman. Thank you. Hi. Hi, everybody. I was afraid I couldn't un unmute myself there for a moment, but thank you so much for having me today. I'm really excited to be here. A little nervous, but more excited. Um, okay. So I'm going to tell you guys what I'm going to talk about so that I make sure to stay on track here. Okay. So what I'm talking about today is strength training. And first thing I'm going to talk about is why strength training is non-negotiable. There's nobody on this call that convinced me otherwise. I'm completely passionate about strength training and I'm hoping to help you start to think that way as well. Um, then I'm gonna talk a little bit about, you know, what strength training is and a sort of a general sense on how to add that into your life and talk about a few different types of exercises that you could do. And then just, you know, how to get started with it and, um, when you should start training. So that's, you know, just the basics of what we're going to go through today. Um, and of course, if there's any questions at the end, I'd be happy to answer. Rachel, I'm sure as well, um, can answer some of those. But all right, let's talk about the why. Okay, so as Amy spoke, um, as we age, a lot of changes happen to our body, a lot of changes. And in particular, as it relates to strength training, um, decrease in muscle um, density your increase in fat, uh, loss of lean muscle, which is huge, and decrease in metabolism, okay? So all those are sort of related to what I'm gonna talk about with strength training. So how can strength training help with those things? All right, so let's talk about the reverse of 
uh, um, you know, loss of strength. That's, that's huge for those of us on the call that are runners. That's huge, but it's huge for everybody who wants to lose strength as they, as they age. Um, so by doing strength training, and let me be a little bit more specific with strength training. What I mean by strength training is resistance training. Okay. Adding a load to what you're doing. Um, so that's when I say strength training, I really mean resistance training. So just, just know that as we go through this. All right. So, so, you know, by adding resistance training to your, to your, to your workout life, you're going to help reverse those strength losses or slow them down. All right. So, you know, as you're aging and things, you know, when you get pet, like, like Amy had mentioned, when you get into your forties and especially fifties and sixties, I mean, your strength loss just takes a nosedive. So you don't want that to happen. You want to just slow that down and make that small of a change as possible. But the good news is you have control over that, right? You put that time and effort into it and you can, you can slow that down. So I think that's something that we should kind of celebrate. It doesn't have to happen to you. Okay. So let that's the reverse of strength. So Amy also talked about the, you know, bone um, mineral density. So adding load to things is going to help you have stronger bones. Okay. Again, adding load resistance training, um, increase your lean muscle mass by creating, you know, more muscle which helps with metabolism. So if you have a pound of, of fat on your body and a pound of muscle on your body, that pound of muscle is going to burn a lot more calories in the day than that pound of fat, all right? So that also is a benefit of strength training, right? Okay, so another one, decrease of injury. This is a big one, especially for those of us that are runners, all right? And I'm going to get into talking why running is not enough in a moment here, but decrease of injury. Everybody sitting here today has imbalances in their body. Everybody. I do strength training and I have imbalances. Rachel knows. Um, so, you know, your, your quads might be working strong, but your glutes are not. Or your right quad is stronger than your left quad, whatever it is. By not addressing that, by not doing things to fix those things, that increases your risk of injury. Um, and just general, um, you know, weaknesses can cause injury and or not activating your muscles, right? So, so we sit, we, a lot of us sit all day. We're, we're, we're sitting at a desk, you're not using things, you're, you're turning off your glutes, you're not using your glutes, they're not activated. And, you know, so, but by adding strength training and using those muscles, um, you know, again, helps with decrease of injury. Um, it, adding strength training, again, it increases your ability to just do, just generally do more work, just to, you're able to handle more things, whether it's running or whether it's just life in general, you're just able to handle more things because you're just stronger. I can tell of just a, brief story. I, about a year ago or so, I um, was invited to talk to a group of women who were all over 65 and they ranged in age and to talk about the importance of strength training. And this was before the pandemic, it was in person. And, you know, there was a wide range of women there, some who were very active and took serious, took their strength training serious and some that just didn't do anything. 
the, the difference in how those people moved was unbelievable. Those that put the time in were exercising, did their strength training, they were up and down and moving and in multiple directions and of where others were sitting there and were working on just getting them to stand from a chair, right? So again, you want to put this effort in to, to keep yourself strong. And that's what strength training, resistance training can help you with. Um, the last thing, this kind of goes hand in hand with decrease of injury, but, you know, by strengthening your muscles increases, you know, your muscles around your joints and it helps them, um, just be more stable. Right. So, so all of these things help, you know, strength training helps all of these things. And the one thing that you don't want is you do not want to start to feel more frail as you age, you know, and you want to feel strong. You know, we, we are all aging. I'm going to be 52 in May. And, you know, I, I want to keep feeling strong. I want to feel strong. I want to feel active. I want to be able to move. And you have to put that time and effort into and resistance training is a huge part of that. Okay. Moving on. So we talked about the why. Now going into, you know, a little bit more specifics on what strength training is. But first, let me address running because most of the people on here are runners. Okay. So a lot of people think, well, I run, you know, that's weight bearing. I'm doing, I, 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 isn't that enough? Why isn't that enough? Running is linear. Okay. You're moving in one forward motion. There's different planes of motion. This is a sagittal plane. You're moving forward. Okay. So you're, that's all you're doing is you're moving forward and you are using just the same muscles over and over. And there's some muscles you're not using at all. All right. So I love running. I'm a runner first. I've been a runner for, I started running when I was 10 years old. Like you'll never tell me, you know, like, Oh, well, you don't care. I care about running a lot but I care about strength training a lot more than I ever have. And I can tell you that me personally, I would not be running today if I didn't do the strength training that I did. I, I, my running days would probably have been over just from all the miles and so forth. Um, okay, so moving on. Um, what is the difference between cross training and strength training? All right, so, so some people would think, well, I run and then I swim and then I do the elliptical, isn't that enough? That's cross training. Cross training to me is a supplement, is something on a day you don't run, you cross train, you get on the elliptical, you do something like that, you jump in the pool, you swim. That's what you do. That's cross training. That is not what I'm talking about with strength training. All right. So um, strength training needs to consist of, in order to be really beneficial, it needs to consist of multi-directional exercises so that you're moving in. We talked earlier about um, just running and moving in a linear fashion. You want exercises that where you're working in other planes of motion, where you're going laterally. And even though going backwards is still part of the sagittal plane, it's not something that you do regularly. So you wanna work backwards, you wanna work side to side, you wanna work a little bit with rotation, things that you don't get from running, okay? So that's one of the things that strengthening needs to consist of. Um, now you need load. We talked about that. It's really resistance training. So you need load. So let's talk about some different loads. All right, so there's bands. I have one right here, little resistance bands and they can be the loop bands or they can be the ones that aren't looped or whatever, but there's bands. These are great. These provide resistance. I love bands. 
Um, you know, if you've done physical therapy, you've used bands, but you can use them for strength training. You can use them for full body work. Bands are amazing and they're super affordable. <laughs> so bands are something that gives you resistance. Okay, so that's one thing. Another, um, something else, like if you belong to a gym and you go and there's the machines that are set up and you go, let's say, and you do a shoulder, you sit on a machine and you, you know, put the pin in and you do a shoulder press that you're, okay, you're getting resistance there. That's, that's good. And if that is your one option, then by all means do that. Okay. But I'm going to tell you why I would encourage expanding from that a little bit. Okay. So, so you're sitting in a machine and you're doing your shoulder press and you're working your shoulders because you're sitting and you're, you're not having to stand. You're not, it's not weight bearing, anything like that. But then, and I don't, hopefully I don't know if you guys can see me. If you have dumbbells and now you're standing and you're doing the shoulder press, what are you doing? You're engaging your core. You're hopefully <laughs> you're squeezing your glutes. You know, there's some balance involved here with in both arms, right? And as opposed to something that's all connected together, there's a lot more things that you're starting to work with that. So I'm not gonna tell you that absolutely don't ever use machines because if that's what you're most comfortable with, then that's something, but there are benefits of doing things with free weight with dumbbells, in my opinion. Um, okay, and we're gonna talk about some exercises here in a moment, but when we're talking about, um, you know, a lot of people ask me like, well, should I do, uh, you know, should I just do like 30 reps? And I am a, we're talking about load here. You're trying, you know, I want you to have lift heavier weights. And so I'm a big fan of, um, you know, lower reps and higher weights so that by the end, you're finishing your set of exercise, whatever you're doing, and you're working hard by the end. You're, you're, you're working to get that last one or two reps in. I'm not saying we're going all out one rep max. I'm saying like eight to 12 reps in a set. I tend to go when I'm working with women, I tend to go more into the eight to 10, but you know, eight to 12 is great. Like, um, so, but, but not so much that you're like, okay, there's my eight and I'm done. Like, you're working, you have some, you have load on you and you're, and then you're also progressing with it and trying to add some load as you become stronger. That's also important is making it progressive. So let's talk about types of exercises that you can do. So we talked about they should be multi-directional, uh, talked about different things that you can use, uh, different equipment. Um, they also need to be multi-joint exercises, in my opinion. So, and Rachel's nodding, so yay. <laughs> um, multi-joint, meaning that they're working multiple muscles at, at one time, not just like, so a single joint would be like a, a just a bicep curl, all right? So we're just working the bicep curl, okay? So a multi-joint would be like a squat, all right? You're getting, you're working a lot of lower extremity work you're getting in. So I'm a big fan of, you know, working your quads, working your hamstrings, working your glutes. It's a very big muscle area. So if you are, you know, strong in this area and you have a lot of muscle in that area, going back to like metabolism and all that, that you've created by having strong legs. Um, also, again, we talked about it earlier. You don't want to feel frail. You want to be able to move 
go up steps, you know, things like that without feeling frail or weak. And you have to have strong legs. So squatting um, is, I think, you know, a, a part of your exercise routine. I also am a fan of lunges, but not necessarily just the forward lunges because we already have that forward. So, you know, you can do, you know, I mean, we talk a backward lunge, all right? So you're stepping back. Um, although that's still in that sagittal plane, again, we're not spending a lot of time moving backwards. It's good to be moving in different ways than just that forward. But also then there's the side lunge, okay? So that's now you're working in a frontal plane. You're in an entirely different plane by going laterally. So you do the side lunge. And then you mix it up and you can pull it up and then you get some balance work in with driving the knee up, which I'll talk about here in a minute as well. Um, so those are some good lower body type work. Also, I, I believe you should have like a push exercise and a pull exercise as well worked into your program. So a push would be like a push-up. I love push-ups. I think push-ups are great. Core work as well. Um, Shoulder press is a push, you know, you're having some push exercises, but you don't want to just always be pushing. You also want to pull. So that would be like a lat pull down in the gym or here with your band, you know, you're pulling down. So now you have some pulls or a, you know, or a bent over um, uh, row. Um, those are all pulling. And I'm realizing I forgot one thing I wanted to talk about is, um, Hinging. Hinging is another area that is important. So many parts of exercise or different exercises require to know how to hinge. Um, and also you just in, in just life in general, hinging properly and not bending over. So, you know, never do you want to just kind of round the back, round the upper back or, you know, you want to be able to to hinge. And that would be like a deadlift or if you're even the beginning of a squat or um, a fly or something like that. So I have my I have my handy dandy dowel here. So to hinge properly, um, and this is a good just a, just information for you guys because I know in my classes I do a lot of things with hinges. You if to hinge properly, you want to have like you could take like a you know a, a Swiffer or something, and you put it on the back of your head in between your shoulders. And then all the way down here, like right down by your butt. And if you know that you're hinging properly, you're, you're, you're right here at the hips and you're bringing yourself down and you're staying connected in all three spots. So if I start to round my back, what happens? This thing pops right off, okay? Or if my head's going down like this. So if you're connected right here, this is a proper way to hinge. So I did wanna talk about that because so often, you know, if you guys are doing any types of videos or things like that, there are hinging involved and hinging is an important motion and that's a good way to kind of check yourself. Okay, so, you know, those are different types of things. A squat, a lunge, a hinge, a push, a pull. Those are good things to include in a training program, uh, a resistance training program. All right, so then let's talk moving on just about some other types of exercises. I already talked about single joint. So the other ones that we, the, the main ones were all multi-joint. So I talked about the single joint, you know, your bicep, tricep, 
those you don't you don't have to stay away from those. It just shouldn't be the main focus, okay? And you can mix those things up. You can do a a a, a curl and stand on one leg and work on your balance, right? So so you can get creative with some of the stuff and say, oh, I want you know, I want my arms to look nice when my tank tops, but let's make it useful and let's throw ourselves on one leg, get the balance work in at the same time. All right. So those are those, um, the main part of those exercises. But let's talk briefly. We, I know I don't probably talking too much here, but so just general core work is also really important. Um, and Rachel, you may want to jump in here, but I do want to say that um, core work or core is not, nothing drives me more crazy than like if I see some advertisement or like, Get, you know, here's your, here's your core video. And all it is, is just a bunch of crunches. You know, it's all just ab stuff. It drives me bananas. Your core is so much more than that. You know, it's 360 degrees around. It's, it's your, you know, it's the abs you can see your six packs, but it's the deep muscles in there that you can't see that it's so they're stabilizers that are so important. It's your obliques. It's your low back, it's your glutes and hips. It's all of this that's so important, 360 degrees around. So that that's, I don't know, did you wanna say anything there, Rachel? Um, yeah, I think it's important for people to know that you have your deep core stabilizers, which um, stabilize your spine. And then you have your movers, which is like your six pack, the muscles that you can actually feel or my two pack. Um, and I'm actually gonna hold um, a webinar in a few weeks on how to activate those muscles. So when people ask me, I wanna do Pilates, I've never done it before, should I take a class? I always recommend going one-on-one -on -one with a certified Pilates instructor so you understand how to activate those deep core muscles. Um, so core is very important, um, but you have to make sure you're doing it correctly too. Rachel or Kelly, how does one know whether or not they are doing the deep core exercises properly? A lot of times when um, people are doing core exercises, you always hear engage your core, engage your core. What should one do, especially as um, we get older, the connection, the connection between the brain and the core, the core muscles diminishes. So what should one do if they feel like they're not able to make that connection or they used to be able to and they're not anymore or they lost that connection? So this, this is what I tell my, my patients and my runners when I give talks to say to run faster and run farther and faster runners and Wooten high school, all those runners. Um, I want everyone to do this. Actually, you could sit, you could stand, but I'm going to stand so, so I could show you. So it's really important, Julie, like you said, to know, are you activating those muscles? So everyone has two bones in the front part of their hips. They're, they're right over here. I want you to go with your thumbs just up up a quarter of an inch and in a quarter of an inch. And it should be soft there. And what I want you to do is, this is not how you run, but this is how you know if you're activating those muscles and what it should feel like. So don't do it yet, but I'm gonna explain it and then we'll do it together. So again, bones here go up and in slightly and that's where your transverse abdominus is. It's this corset for your spine. And you're gonna take a deep breath, clench your teeth and blow out through your teeth. And you will feel these muscles pop into your fingers and then you know they're turned on. Like Kelly said, it's not just how strong you are, but are you activating the right muscles? So bones up and in, take a deep breath and blow through your teeth. And you should feel muscles pop up. 
Now, I just wanted you to get a sense of what they should feel like. Now, to do it while you're actually doing exercise, I call it the skinny jeans exercise. A lot of you have heard me say this. And women get this and guys do not get this. So if I tell you to pretend you're lying on your bed and trying on your skinniest jeans and you have to zip and you have to button, now you understand why guys usually don't get this. I want you to pull everything in. And with your fingers in the same spot in the front part of your lower abdomen, when you pull in all of those muscles, you should feel those the transverse abdominis pop up into your fingers. Now, if you don't, don't worry about it because it does take some practice. And I spend a lot of time usually in my clinic teaching that because that's the foundation of the other exercises. But um, Julie, that is a way to understand if you're actually close to contracting those, ex, um, those muscles. So Kelly, Kelly or Rachel, can you answer, um, to kind of give some guidance on how many times a week should, should people be doing strength? How long should it be? You know, can you divide it up through the day? All of us, especially as runners trying to figure out where to fit it in, what, what, how much do we need to do for it to be effective? And many, many people ask that in the chat. So Kelly, if you want to start with that. So, okay, so we've talked about core. I just quickly, balance is really important too. And the better core the strength that you have, that your better your balance will be better. So, balance is really, really important um, as we get older. And let me, can I just say something about mobility, and then I'll talk about uh, frequency and all that stuff. So. Um, Mobility also is an important part just in terms of, um, you know, being able to move your joints through full range of motion and so forth. I'm getting more and more into that um, and believing, I really do believe in that. And that would be something like maybe yoga or like an actual mobility class. But the reason for runners, why it's, it's really important is when you're running, you need to have hip extension. And if you are not able to do that, because again, we sit a lot, your hip flexors shorten and you're tight. And so if you cannot extend your hip, it's not like your body's just gonna not let you run. It's gonna run, but it's gonna adapt to this problem by either rotating or arching or doing things that over time are gonna cause problems. So mobility is also really important, but um, okay. I know I need to finish up here. So let me just say this. There's a progression to exercise. Before you jump into just heavy weight training, you do have to have that core stability. So I think that needs to be a, a first, if you've not done anything like this, if you've just been running, you need to work on some core stability. Then we, you can move into getting into your strength training, your resistance training. Um, and some of that stuff, like we talked about squats, you might do that without weights to start and then you, you know, you just do body weight and you add to it. So that's kind of the progression. The third one I know sometimes comes up is like HIIT training, plyometric training. Um, you have to have the base of those other two before you go into something like that, right? You cannot just go into doing some crazy HIIT training without the stability and without the strength to, to manage that. And I just ask you to be a little cautious about those and not you don't wanna go into a 30 minute hit classes jumping the whole time. And if you're running 40 miles a week training for something and you're doing that, just be aware of that. You can do hit training that's even low impact. So it doesn't have to be crazy jumping. Um, okay, if you're doing no strength training at all right now, one day a week is better than nothing. My personal feeling 
is that your goal should be three days a week. That does not need to mean an hour. You don't need to spend an hour in the gym doing strength training. But if you can set aside 20, 30 minutes a week for strength training, and if you got to cut out a, a run or shorten a run in order to do that, my gosh, please do that. That's how important this is. So you, sh you should try to work up and that should be your goal. Um, how do you do that? I mean, if you have no experience at all, I would recommend you finding a reputable trainer to work with because form is so very important. Um, make sure they're appropriate for you, have worked maybe with your age bracket or, you know, if you are a runner that they worked with runners and understand that. Um, you know, you can purchase equipment. Bands are not that expensive. That's a very inexpensive option. You can get yourself some dumbbells. But the biggest thing is you have to have a plan, okay? Don't overcomplicate this. This doesn't need to be, I know it can be overwhelming if you've not done anything like this, but try not to overcomplicate it. Just come up with a plan, schedule it in. Most all of you guys are scheduling in your runs now. You have to do that too. And if you think to yourself, but I don't like to do this. I don't want to do this. I want to run. I have my running friends. I don't care. You got to do it. Like, <laughs> seriously, I just mean that. Like, you have to do it. I mean, I'm talking to you like you're my kids right now. You just have to do it. And I'll tell you what I'll tell the kids that I coach. Act as if. Act as if you like it. And eventually you may start to really like it because I'll tell you what you will like is feeling strong, not feeling fragile and like feeling like, yeah, powerful and good, right? Who doesn't want to feel that way? So you have control over this. You got to do it and you got to do it now. Everyone needs to start. I don't care how old you are. And, but that you got to be consistent. Okay. You can't do it tomorrow and then wait three weeks and do it again. And we're going to put a plug in for Kelly because um, Kelly is not going to do this herself, but we do have to say that as coaches, we really um, value Kelly's experience and her, her expertise. And not only that, but she has classes that are virtual um, online now like on Zoom. And if you can't make them, you can get them on a video and they're 30 minutes and they're no or very little equipment or some of the equipment she's talked about. So if you're somebody who's like, where do I even start? Um, once you've gotten that foundational um, skills that we've talked about, Kelly's classes are, they're scheduled, they're there. Um, the live ones are great because you feel like, you know, you're in a class and if you can't make it, you can do the video. So if you're somebody who's looking for like, where do I start? We as coaches think Kelly is, is, is the most reliable source that, that you know, we've found for, for our runners. So we're just gonna put a plug in and we'll circulate the information about her classes um, by email after. Um, that would be great. Kelly, thank you so much for that extremely valuable info. Love your enthusiasm, and I support every word you say. I recommend your classes, too. Some people ask about the Peloton app. I know a lot of people have Peloton. Um, I'll be honest with you. I actually think some of the classes are good. I also I love picking, like, the five-minute core because I don't have a lot of time. And exactly like Kelly said, if you only have 60 minutes to run, then, gosh, run for 50 and do strength training for seven and stretch for three. So it's just incorporated into the time that you have. Um, and I'm going to reiterate because we had a question. So someone asked, like, so do you mean 20 minutes a week strength training? How many can you reiterate, Kelly, uh, how many times a week and um, how many minutes at a time? I mean, I, you know, I, I go, the goal is three times a week. And I don't think that you need to spend at a time any more than 20 to 30 minutes to get the proper workout 
for, for, for all of us. Like you can get a very good workout in 30 minutes, three times a week. I, and I 100% agree. And one thing I will say though, is um, I will again say work with a reputable trainer, be careful of the videos, make sure you know how you're doing these exercises. Form is key, technique is key. If you do find yourself hurting and you try to modify, but you're still having issues, that's when I tell people to, um, I recommend maybe going to a physical therapist who can see what your form is like, see what your imbalances are. Like Kelly said, we all have imbalances. Where do you specifically need to focus on? I do run baseline analysis where I can see where the imbalances are and say, okay, this is where you need to focus on. Go to someone when you're having pain who understands runners. I just had an ultra marathon or an ultra marathon or running for 15 years who had knee pain. And the doctor said to her, maybe you should stop running. And I was mortified. <laughs> no one wants to hear that. So go to someone who understands runners um, in the state of Maryland. And, and we appreciate everyone joining us from all over the world, actually. In the state of Maryland, you can go straight to a physical therapist um, without seeing a doctor. And then we can decide whether you need one. So that's something. Um, we had a couple of other questions. Um, is yoga a form of strength training? No, it's not. It's a form of mobility, not a form of strength training. Uh, we get, I know Kelly and I get that question a lot. Um, someone asked, um, when should we strength train before or after we run? I personally, to prevent injury, I like it after I run. Um, before I run, I do some dynamic stretches, warm up, but I don't like to do strength training and get my muscles fatigued before a run. Someone also asked, and I get this question a lot, marathon training. And I mean, marathons too. So how do you get your strength training in when you're training 40 or 50 miles a week? And I think a lot of people have that issue. So this is what I'm going to say to you. Plan out your year. If you know you're starting to train for a fall marathon July 1st, then I would suggest strength training May through June or even June. Make that your preseason, get ready, get your body ready for the marathon training. Continue to strength train, like Kelly said, through the season of training. But as you get fatigued and you're increasing your miles and your, your long runs are 18 plus, I recognize that you may not have the time to fit it all in. If you could at least do twice a week of 15, 20 minutes of strength training, incorporate single leg exercises as we get older. And I don't blame many things on age but I blame loss of balance or reduced balance on age. I would do a lot of single leg exercises. Kelly mentioned squats, do single leg squats. One leg while you're doing bicep curls. Incorporate, stand on one leg when you're brushing your teeth. Do mini squats standing online at Giant. I do, and I hope I don't see anyone I know. Um, you can incorporate things into your life where you don't have to say, I don't have the time. You do while you're watching washing the dishes, do lunch, reverse lunges. I mean, I think you can incorporate these things in. So with marathon training, it is important to keep up the strength, but just not heavy weights while you're in the bulk of your training. So I get this question a lot, and somebody asks about body pump. Body pump, people love it and could be good. And Kelly, I want your opinion. I'm just going to throw mine in. Be careful when you're doing body pump while marathon training. I've seen a lot of injuries from it. Um, I don't know if it's like the hit type of training where you're doing it really fast and intense, but Kelly, what are your thoughts on body pump? Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes it's just like, oh, it, 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 
like I like extra, I like workouts that make sense. Right. And like, if you're just going to sit and do, you know, squats for, I don't know, over and over and over and over. Like, I just think there's too much sometimes, you know, like, I think it needs to make sense. What am I doing here? What am I trying to accomplish? Or the whole goal is not necessarily to just walk out of a class and have feel dead. I mean, that really doesn't, that just promotes injury. Right. So, um, I mean, I've done body part years since I've done it. So I don't remember exactly what I just feel like sometimes some things are just overdone for the sake of doing it too much. So just be cautious and make sure that the class, that it makes sense and that you feel like, all right, this is, this is a workout that works in my, also my running life as well. Exactly. I kind of hear Oh, I was going to say, I, I, I hear a common theme I just want to comment on, and that is marathon training, body pump. All these things are things that many people probably started doing in their 20s and 30s. And now these things still exist. We still want to do them in some capacity. And that's why it's so important. And that's why we're doing all of this is to say, we don't have to stop doing the things we love, but we need to look at the big picture and modify our training, whether it's our sport, our cardio training, or our strength training to fit in with where we are right now. Now, where our weaknesses are right now and, and, and where we continue to have strengths. And I think that goes too to, to the importance of recovery um, as we get older. As we get older, what we've seen with our runners and ourselves is that we need more recovery. So for you to be able to fit in the running and the strength to have some really high intensity strength that's going to leave you exhausted is not giving you that recovery that you need. So, and we talked already about how we're, we're our sleep is suffering because of our side effects of menopause. So it, it, that, that recovery and, and the sleep becomes important and to fit the strength in, you have to make sure it's not, um, not adding to the, to the wear and tear in your body. Exactly. I agree with all of you. Someone asked what body pump is. It's a type of class that people seem to really like. It incorporates weights, um, it's just, it's just a type of cardio class and incorporates weights. Um, somebody asked if jumping jacks and single leg hops count as strengthening. Yes, it's part of it. I mean, I think of it as more as it's great for weight bearing for bone density. Um, it is leg strengthening to a point, but if you don't add resistance on top of that, you're not getting your muscles stronger. You're only going to get it stronger to a point. Um, and someone asked Kelly, if um, you're not sore after a strength workout, does that mean you didn't do if th that? Does that mean that the workout wasn't effective for muscle strengthening? No, you don't have to be sore after a workout. In fact, some trainers, like some very reputable trainers that I respect a lot, their goal is to get their get their. Uh, clients through workouts without getting them sore, like without, like, look, you're going, there's going to be, especially when you're new and doing it, but that's not the goal to be sore all the time. No, it is not the goal at all. Okay. And someone asked about the class that I mentioned that we're going to have a webinar for. I'll send out an email with a zoom link to everybody about all about the abs. It's going to be just how to activate the deep core. So that'll come soon. Someone asked about bar. Um, I have to say, I love bar. Um, Again, it's like an adjunct to training. It's not, if, if you're not doing resistance training, it's not resistance training, but it's great core work and glute work as long as you're doing it correctly. I'm going to say that again. You have to do these exercises correctly um, or it's not going to target the right, the right muscles. So if you, especially people who have a history of back pain, please be careful. You just have to make sure. I don't love these classes and these videos where you're doing 30 as fast as you can Again, as Julie said, as we get older, we have to be more mindful of what we're doing and how we're doing them. So 
be careful of the hit classes, be careful of the CrossFit. It's okay, but you have to do things purposefully, mindfully with good technique. Yes. A mirror is um, always good too, to watch yourself. I think. Yes. And then one other thing I'll mention, because I know we're running out of time, please put in your, in the chat, if you have any questions for um, Dr. Beckerman, there was one question about um, incontinence that we'll get to in a second. But um, one thing I did want to mention is not only does our balance reduce, but also our timing, our, our like our neuromuscular like timing. So I love drills. I like high knees. Um, I like butt kicks. There are a lot of drills out there. So when you get the strength through Kelly's classes, then you have to say, how do I get from this strength to my running? And I think a nice bridge to that are drills where you do something fast with good form, like use your glutes fast, kick your butt as you're, as I'm gonna show you really quickly if you can see me, but do like, I'm wearing slippers, I'll take them off, <laughs> but do like high knees, get the glutes going, get the hamstrings going. You could do, I mean, sorry, that's butt kicks. You could do high knees, but try to do things um, you, you can do um, jump rope even for cadence. So just try to get your neuromuscular system kicking in a little bit faster so you'll be more efficient with the runs. And that's like a whole nother talk probably. So, um, and agility drills too, Jenny mentioned, thank you. Um, you can very much do like on a curb, back and forth, back and forth. You can do grapevine, you can do sidestepping. There's a lot of things you can do to work your timing too. One, one question that we had, Dr. Beckman, thank you so much for um, joining us. It's awesome. You guys are fantastic. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Toby. Uh -huh. um, one question was someone has incontinence and um, with running. So issues with running and incontinence. She's actually a Pilates instructor and she did have PT, but she was wondering about some other um, avenues to go to address this. But one thing I'll say about Pilates I have found sometimes doing Pilates, you're always activating your core, but not letting it go. So I found with Pilates, you have to make sure you let go of the muscles too, um, to give them a break versus overusing them. But so Toby, take it away with that question. So there, there's two kinds of incontinence. And my guess is that the person who asked the question is referring to stress incontinence because that generally is what happens when you're running. There is urgency incontinence where your bladder will just spasm at random. It's also called overactive bladder, or unstable bladder. There are some medications for that. But I'm guessing that the person who is running, because what happens when you run is that you contract your rectus abdominis muscles and anatomically, your pelvic floor has weakened and the neck of your bladder is no longer above the pelvic floor. It actually comes through just a bit. And so it's an anatomical issue. So there is physical therapy that can be done. Um, I, I'm sure there is some success associated with that. Um, patients that I've seen have not had tremendous success. There's Kegel exercises. And what you're doing with Kegel exercises is essentially you're trying to strengthen and strengthen and strengthen your pelvic floor so that your bladder neck can have more support. There is a, um, a device that can get fitted in a doctor's office called a pessary. They, I have patients with pessaries and they actually work beautifully and some really use it just when they run and they take it out. It's, it can be a round device, a round circle, non-latex that can get fitted in and actually lift your bladder neck up. 
And there are patients who do beautifully with it with running and others that it doesn't help them at all or it comes right out. So it depends how much pelvic relaxation and how weak your pelvic floor is. Um, and then what I alluded to when I was spoke last time was a very new kind of cutting edge device called an Mcella, which is a big chair that you sit on. It's a magnet. It's a 28 minute therapy twice a week for three weeks. Essentially this very high intensity focused electromagnetic energy stimulates all of the muscles of the pelvic floor. They equate it to about 11,000 Kegel exercises at each 28 minute session. So obviously, you know, you can't do that. You can't do that on your own. Can't do it with a physical therapist, can't do it. Um, the studies show that 50% of people are dry and that's pretty incredible. Dry meaning they don't pee on themselves. And um, a large percentage, I think about 80 to 95% of people were incredibly happy with their level of leakage. And then the next step is surgery. And so that's why there's not a lot because it's anatomic. Your muscles have weakened, your bladder neck is hanging below the spot where the nice pelvic floor can help it support. And so um, physical therapy, maybe a pessary, um, cella and surgery. And those are the things. Medication does not help stress urinary incontinence. Thank you. We also have a, we have another question along with that. Uh -huh. um, Laura says um, she seems to be needing to pee more frequently. It started when she was 46 and she pretty much needs to go every mile that she runs. Is this a part of menopause? Um, I've seen young people. I've seen old people with it. I think it is part of this overactive bladder. The good news for that is that um, there is medication that can help that. The Mcella has also been approved for that kind of incontinence. So if somebody is doing that, it, you know, the kind of thing where you, you go shopping and my patients tell me I have to know where every bathroom is every second so I can dash there when I need to. And similarly, if every hour you have to stop and find some place chances are your bladder is contracting. I don't think it's necessarily menopause because I don't think we know that estrogen for sure plays a role when you're fully menopausal um, in terms of weakening those tissues and weakening the all of the surrounding tissues that support the bladder. But um, this bladder spasm that occurs, which is the, the reason why people have that urgency and have that frequency. Um, and of course, get checked for a bladder infection, just to be sure people do have unusual bladder infections. So that's the first thing I would just take a urine in and make sure that that's not the case. Um, but I think that uh, medication may be very helpful for that person. And I just wanted to throw in one thing as you guys were talking about sleep, because everybody mentioned it. Um, it is, and sleep is hard, And but you should do something about it. I mean, you talk to your doctor or you know whoever you see, and really all of the things that um, the first wonderful nutritionist who spoke, and uh, who spoke? Amy. Amy, yeah. So she talked all about all of the, we call it sleep etiquette, right? All the things you shouldn't do before you go to sleep and the room temperature and all of those things. But if that's not working enough for you, work on it, whether it's melatonin, whether it's supplements, whether it's meditation, whether it's medication, but sleep is so important. Everything that you dealt with being strong and being not overeating and thinking clearly and not getting foggy, you got to sleep. And um, it can be a huge problem. And a lot of times it's life stresses. It's not necessarily menopause. It's life stress, but deal with it because that is such a crucial piece 
of, of the, the strength that you're going to need to deal with everything else going on. And, and I have to add to that, that I find a lot of injuries occur when people aren't getting sleep and they're not modifying their training. I know Lisa and Julie talk a lot about this. If you plan on running five tomorrow morning, but say you have a horrible night's sleep, maybe you don't run five tomorrow. Maybe you cross train, maybe you walk, maybe you skip the day, but really get a good sense of what your body feels like um, because you may just risk um, injury. And, and Toby, there's another question. Um, I'm still menstruating, the question starts with, with the cycles getting shorter, but her energy level is just blah right before her period. Is there anything she could do? She's really not interested in the pill or IUD. Maybe this is a, a question for Amy and Dr. Beckerman. Energy level. Right. I find if you're still menstruating and you have these symptoms, you're actually probably dealing more with premenstrual syndrome than you are with actually menopause. And so sometimes there's an imbalance in estrogen to progesterone ratios. There are some very nice supplements that you can take um, that can help with the premenstrual syndrome. Um, often, as Amy mentioned, adjusting your diet a little bit at that time um, to see what kinds of things um, produce more insulin, which is going to lower your energy and what kinds of things don't when you eat in the day and things of that nature. But if you're feeling those kinds of things before your period, then to me, that's more of a premenstrual syndrome. And there are, there's a whole host of things that, that can be done about that versus menopause. Thank you. And we'll have, um, just, we'll ask one more question. And again, if I didn't get to your questions, I'm really sorry. I saw the time. And um, again, we will hand out, um, we will email out all of our information and please feel free to reach out to us with your personal questions. But the last question that I think some people would have, whether you're a runner or not, is what if I'm not able to empty my bladder completely? Meaning? That's the question. Maybe I'm not able to empty. Well, I'm, I'm guessing that when you're sitting to pee, you feel at the moment that you're emptying. Um, if you're really not, you know, um, then you probably should see a urologist for a bit of an evaluation, maybe an ultrasound. They actually can measure with the sonogram. They can have you, how big is your bladder full? Then you go void. Then you come back. They scan it. Are you really not emptying? Or is it just that sensation that you're emptying. And if it's the sensation, then it's back to probably bladder spasms and overactive bladder. You feel like you're never emptying. But if you really think you're not, that probably you should probably see a urologist and have that evaluated properly in addition to probably a urine culture to be sure you don't have an infection or blood in the urine. Dr. Beckerman, I have one last question just to kind of sum up the past uh, part one and part two of our webinars. And because you are the expert that sees the most uh, patients in terms of menopausal management, what advice do you have uh, to women who are going through this journey in terms of staying positive and um, given sort of the past negative connotations with menopause, what advice would you give to all of us um, to be positive and, and happier during this time? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I started my talk with the last time. I don't think we get older. I think we get better. And I think that we're smarter. And the, the take-home message would be use your smarts. Don't use fear and don't use sometimes media things. Um, Amy talked about in the beginning, dispelling a lot of myths. 
there's a lot of myths out there. There's a lot of stuff out there and people prey on it just a little bit. Um, know what the real facts are. And then, you know, and then get whatever it is you need, something for sleep, something for hot flashes, um, something, you know, a good nutritionist to help you control what you're eating, a great um, physical therapist, strength trainer to say, you know what, I'm going to be as good as I can be as I'm getting older, you know, and, um, and use it as positive motivation, not negative motivation. It's not, you're not dead at menopause. I mean, I just turned 62 <laughs> and, you know, you, you, you don't die at menopause by any means. And a lot of it is just attitude, but don't be afraid of hormone replacement therapy. I beg you not to be afraid of it. It has absolutely changed people's lives and other people take it and they really don't like it. But for a bulk of people, it absolutely changed their life. So get, find out what the facts are, you know, talk to your doctor about it so that you're not afraid of it. I mean, menopause is, you know, it's, it's just another stage of life. There's a lot of positive to it too. So. Thank you. And uh, I'll say one last thing and I'll turn it over to Lisa to sum everything up, but we will send out um, a link for Kelly's classes and also eventually a Zoom, a Zoom link or how to sign up for the all about the abs so you know how to activate the deep core so you know you're doing Kelly's exercises correctly. So Lisa, I'll, I'll send it to you. We, we will also send out a link for Amy's information too. Amy yes. um, is based in Frederick, Maryland, but does virtual consultations. And we will resend a link um, for Dr. Beckerman's information as well. And um, thank you so much, Dr. Beckerman, for coming back today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you to everyone. We've had... Um, you know, such a, a really productive and we feel empowering um, last time and this time. And really uh, the, the number of registrants we had for the each webinar really spoke to us and told us that there are a lot of people out there that want this information. And um, like Dr. Beckerman said, to not have fear, to, to arm yourself with knowledge. And that was our purpose here. So we really appreciate everyone joining us and we will circulate uh, the this, the audio for this will go on a podcast, so we'll circulate that along with all of the other links and information we've we've talked about and with our contact information so that you can reach out and we'd love any of your, you know, your feedback or anything else that you'd like to see in the future. And we appreciate your time. So thanks everyone for coming. Have a, a great rest of your, <laughs> what's left of your weekend and a great week coming up. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We wanna give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryant, and if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.